The most of the Torah regulates our actual behavior, the actions we take, of course, and those that we shouldn't take, the world of Masa. There are some mitzvot which sanction or dictate the world of thought, the world of belief, what ideas we're meant to believe in, what ideas we have to repudiate. Um, but ideas surrounding HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're meant to affirm. Certain ideas about Hashem were meant to reject, that He has no physical body, that there are multiple gods, etc., etc. And the Rambam, of course, um, distilled the concepts we're meant to believe in into 13 principles of faith when he wrote the Yud Gimel Midas, Yud Gimel Ikarim. Um, there are, however, two mitzvahs that speak not to the world of action nor to the world of thought, but to the world of emotion, which, of course, are the hardest mitzvahs, because how do you generate or regulate emotions? These, of course, are the two emotions which are meant to mediate the relationship between man and God, the interface, the emotional interface between a person and their bonus shalom, the mitzvah of Abbas Hashem, and the mitzvah of Yeras Hashem. Um, broadly speaking, of course, Avas Hashem can be reached in many different routes. The Rishonim differs to how to trigger or stimulate Avas Hashem. But one way for sure, and, and the way which the Rambam chooses, is through the route of Talmud Torah in particular, in general, encountering HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation, his works. The Rambam in Hilchos Yisodei Atara, Perak Beis, Halacha Beis, describes a person um, interrogates, examines HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation, his creatures, the beauty, the vast the wisdom, the, the sweep, the infinity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's wisdom, right away a person is transitioned, not just into an intellectual moment of investigation, but ideally the spirit at heart should transition into a passionate moment of desire and, and coveting to know, to become close to the creator of such beauty, of such uh, majesty. Interestingly enough, in Yisodei Atara, the Ramam does not differentiate between Talmud Torah and other aspects of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's creation. The Ramam's language is very general. Ma'asav, uvruav, hanifla'im ha'gedolim. God's creatures, his ma'asim, his creation, his actions. In the Sefer HaMitzvahs, in Mitzvahs Essay Gimel, when the Rambam describes the third mitzvah of Taryag, the third positive commandment, to love Hashem, here he does seem to discriminate between acquiring a love of Hashem through examining HaKadosh Baruch Hu's general creation, as we would say, the universe, as opposed to seeing Hashem and falling in love with Hashem through understanding His Torah. The Rambam writes, V'zeshen is bonein v'naskil mitzvosav ufuulosav. Both his mitzvos, which of course is, can be taken as a general term, not just for the mitzvos, but for the Torah, as well as HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Ka'ulos, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's actions, creations, the systems, the science, as it were, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world. But either way, whether you take the more generalistic terminology of Yisodei HaTara, the Yad Chazaka, or the more, one would say, ritualistic language of the Sefer HaMitzvos, there is no question that the Rambam affiliated the study of Torah with the emotion of Ahavas Hashem.
the desire to know Hashem will stimulate an interest in Torah. And, of course, sequentially or subsequently, the more Torah you know, the more of Hashem you understand, as I mentioned in the first year of this series. And ideally, if a person has religious interest and religious curiosity, the knowledge of a Kaddish Baruch Hu isn't just knowledge, but it, can, it converts a person, transforms a person into a state of love, of interest, of passion. Intellectual curiosity should create emotional passion, emotional excitement, emotional drive. And classically, Torah study is affiliated or seems to be driven by Ava Hashem, as well as an experienced Torah study which would yield Ava Hashem. However, it's unquestionable that at Har Sinai, the moment of Torah's delivery, both of these emotions served as the backdrop. When I say both of them served as the backdrop, does that mean they served simultaneously? Does that mean there were moments of Ahava and Yira? Typically, when we speak about Ahava Sashem versus Yira Sashem, or in general, Ahava versus Yira, at a human level, those two traits are irreconcilable. They're contradictory. Yira, and certainly when we refer to Yira Sashem, does not mean fear, although that's part of it. Yira Sashem means distance, accepting the fact that Akash Baruch Hu is unknowable, indescribable, unmentionable, impenetrable. You can't understand Hashem. That's the higher level of Yira, which the Rambam describes again in that Yisod the Atara. And the Rambam says, When a person considers the sweep of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the majesty of Hashem, Miyad, who near to, <coughs> excuse me, Miyad, who near to Leachorav, he's immediately um, thrown backwards. And he's in a state of fear or awe, terror is probably the better word. He recognizes his own ineptitude or incompetent. Omedes bedas kala the insignificance of our own accomplishments, l'snei timim deos, in the presence of Hashem. That's not the schoolboy fear of punishment. The Rambam is describing the recognition of a Kodesh Baruch Hu's, the word which we would use as transcendence, that he's not us, he's other than us, he's beyond us. He can't be described in our terminology. And according to that Rambam, in Yisrael Deatar, Ava yields zira. You have to first reach Ava, first reach some knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu by studying him, by understanding him, by pursuing him. And that study uncovers the true sweep of Rabboni Shalom, which ultimately reaffirms to us the grand mystery that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, which acceptance of that grand mystery is the Ramam's definition of true Yerashamayim. Now typically, what in our own relationships, and our own relationships amongst humans are mediated by emotions, Typically, Ava and Yira are irreconcilable. If you know someone and you love them and you feel close and you have intimacy and friendship, they're not distant, they're not unknowable. If anything, the fact that you're more intimate and more knowledgeable, more familiar, can serve as the baseline or the basis for greater love. There are some people that we don't know and we're distant from. So Yira sometimes, uh, whether it's the, the, the basic fear or just uh, knowing that person is beyond, is different, is not me, I don't know that person's world, I don't know that person's soul, I'm not close to that person, etc. Obviously, when it comes to Kaddish Baruch we're commanded to 
fulfill both mitzvahs, and Chazal already tells us a very well-known medrash that typically there can't be Ava and Yir together, except when it comes to Hashem, Emakum Ava, Shem Yir, Emakum Yir, Shem Ava. In our scene, I was in an experience which was threaded with both Ava, Hashem, and Yir, Hashem. Now, did they happen at the same moment? Was there alternating moments? That's unclear, but one thing we clearly see. Stark difference between the description of Har Sinai in Parshas Yisro and the description of Har Sinai in Parshas Mishpatim. Parshas Yisro is characterized by Yeras Hashem. Loud, fulminating sounds, billowing infernos, mountains of fire and smoke, people quaking in their boots, everyone, the word Lachro, they were afraid, they were charade. They asked Moshe Rabbeinu, "Daber atay mano v'nishma'ah, v'ayi daber itano alokim ben namos." Please, you speak to us. You serve as the intermediary. We can't accept. We can't absorb the direct word of Hashem and still remain intact. And it's if to underscore the distance, Hakadosh Baruch Hu specifically sends Moshe down as Har Sinai is about to commence and Matan Torah is about to begin. He instructs him to descend the mountain and re re caution rewarn the entire people not to run up the mountain, not to break through the boundaries, not to let the animals stray in pasture. So Parshas Yisrael is, is uh, characterized by distance, unknowability, smoke, lack of vision, lack of visibility. Parshas Mishvatim is a very different view of Har Sinai. Everyone ascends, not just one person, and then Sukkim, or two Sukkim, which are almost impossible for anyone to describe. And if the Torah weren't have written them, it would be literally, literally clear to say them. Vayiru Selokei Yisrael, they saw God, and underneath his legs was like sapphire blue and like the white of the heaven. No, what do these Sukkim mean? Seeing Hashem, describing Hashem in colors. Ve'elatzile b'nei Yisrael lo shalach yadau. Again, not just Vayiru, Vayechazu, Vayechlu, Vayishtu, there's happiness and merry-making and not frivolity, but just real simcha. So Yisrael Mishpatim are contradictory but complementary because every part of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a complementary set of contradictions because we're so different from Hashem. Hashem's so different from us. And obviously that relationship is going to be one of paradox not a simple black-and-white solution. So it seems as if there's an element of Yiras Hashem in Talmud Torah as well. Not just the Avas Hashem, which the Rambam stressed, but the Yiras Hashem. Studying Torah, and through the study of Torah, recognizing how little Torah you know. Um, for example, David HaMelech in Tehillim describes the vastness of Torah. L'chol tichla ra'isi kates. Every end, every world that I've been exposed to, every experience, has an endpoint, has a terminus. But here, the second part of the Pasuk in Kofiotes seems to reject that. Rechava mitzvah schamil. But your mitzvahs, your Torah, are very broad. And if we take the second part of the Pasuk as a Rejection of the first part, there is no case to Torah. Torah is so infinite. And David HaMelech, as it were, is surrendering to that infinity. I can't see the end point of Torah. David HaMelech's surrender to Torah is even more blatant 
in the case of Shlomo. Because Shlomo is very ambitious intellectually, and he shares that ambition with us. And when those ambitions are dashed, when those expectations are unrequited, unrequited, he shares it with us. In Kohelas Perak Zayin, Kol Zeh Nisisi tried to uncover all these secrets with my wisdom, which was quite impressive. Amarti Echkama, I told myself, and he shares his expectations, I told myself, Echkama, I will, I will grasp, I will comprehend the Hirachokami many, and yet it remains beyond. Rachok Mashahaya, Amok, Amok, Miyimsen, too deep to be found by no one, the dark abyss, the man can't penetrate. And in general, of course, this is a fatalistic statement of Shlomo in line with many of the other fatalistic statements of Kohelas. And it refers to the secret of life, but in Chazal also take this as a reference to Torah study in particular. Amarti Echkama, I thought I could capture it. The Hirachokam many, but it's too far removed. It's too distant. So reaffirming that sense <coughs> that as synonymous as Torah is with Avas Hashem, both as a stimulant, Torah stimulates Avas Hashem, as well as a result, the more Ava, the greater the desire to learn Torah. Yeras Hashem is also a basic ingredient of Talmud Torah. Again, a basic ingredient of Talmud Torah, number one, for Yeras Hashem, recognizing the vastness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the unknowability of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the transcendence of Hashem, on the one hand, should trigger a desire, a relentless desire to try to uncover as much as you can. The vastness, the infinity should speak to you, should uh, awaken. It's something more limited than it's more pedestrian. It's something like Kodesh Baruch Hu's vastness. And something should awaken a compelling interest. But more than just awakening the interest because of its vastness. So Kodesh Baruch Hu is so unknowable so indescribable, and this returns us a bit to the first year I gave. We recognize in Torah the closest we could come, the closest approximation. It's almost as if the setup of year at Hasinai was meant to te- telegraph, to broadcast to Am Yisrael. There is no way for you to understand Hashem. You thought you did, maybe. Maybe you thought you could see him in nature. Maybe you thought you could see him in miracles. And you did. You saw him at the Yamsaf. But it's too difficult to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The human eye, the human mind can't fully grasp him. He's not like us. Philosophy is an attempt to describe God in human terms, but obviously, though it's enriching, it's a flawed attempt because the terms of human beings don't match HaKadosh Baruch Hu's essence. But here's my Torah. This is the closest you'll come. This is the closest you'll come to penetrating the smoke, to surpassing the sounds, to being able to transcend above that fear of death. Not death as punishment, but death as reality that the human mind can't grasp and can't simply reside in the knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, unmediated or unapproximated through Torah. So hell is but it seems to be the the root of a fascinating, fascinating back to 
some halacha, back to some level of meaning. Kivan shehigia li'es Hashem melokecha tira. However, he reached the Pasuk, es Hashem melokecha tira, and he couldn't, pirish. He withdrew. And he withdrew for obvious reasons. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't that he, he had no idea. He was confused. In a very strong sense of clarity. But the more that he thought about it, it's obvious the more he realized that there is no, there is no statement that's Hashem Melokechatira. Specifically with the Ur Hashem. When it comes to Avas Hashem, there can be other types of love that can be compared to and contrasted to. So, for example, the after the Recha Kamocha can be compared to the love of Hashem. It's very different, but at least you can uh, say, just like loving Hashem, you should love Am Yisrael, you should love another Jew, with differences. Or, V'haftem Esager, the exact same language as V'haftem Esashem Elokecha. In fact, my Rebbe of Lichtenstein once told me that, um, once said in a shir, that Av Esager is more grammatically similar to V'haftem Esashem. And when it comes to loving Hashem, you have to love Hashem. When it comes to loving Agir, you have to love Agir, recognizing the courage it took. When it comes to the after the Recha Kamocha, the halachic aspect of the after the Recha Kamocha does not demand does not demand an emotional commitment to another Jew. It demands respect, attending to that person's needs, chesed, etc. But actually loving emotionally, interpersonally, another person is not part of the mitzvah. It's certainly a, an important value on its own, but it isn't legislated by the mitzvah. But this was not the Pasuk Shimon Hamsuni was was arrested by. Pasuk was Es Hashem by definition, by internal definition. Yir Hashem means the recognition that Hashem is unlike anything from our world of experience. He's beyond the world of experience. There's nothing in our world that can be attributed to Hashem. Nothing. The only word in human language that can be applied to Hashem is the word not, because He's not anything we know. So by definition, interpreting the word S, Hashem Elokechatira, to include some other form of Yeras Hashem, it is false. It's impossible. So it's not as if Rav Shimon Amsuni didn't understand Yeras Shemayim because of that lack of understanding, he couldn't uncover an additional subject for human fear. For Yeras, just like we should fear Hashem, you should fear something else. It was a truer recognition of Yeras Hashem, knowing that you can't know Hashem, well, there's nothing else I can't know. Only Hashem. Fundamentally, theoretically. So he didn't. He didn't offer any solution. At which point his Tamidim were, were dumbstruck. Amulot Tamidim, Rebbe, kol esen shedarashta maitehe'alayim. If you can't complete the circuit, then every part of your drasha may be flawed. I talked about this in one of the earlier shiurim. Torah is a ring. Torah is a network. It's not atomic units of knowledge. It's one unitary, integrated system. Torah Hashem Tamima. Complete, indivisible. So if you fail at one S, then all the other drushas may fall. They weren't just, it wasn't just a, uh, 
the pep talk that was saying, well, Rebbe, how are you going to take it? How are you going to take this moment of failure? You darshan every single ass. How do you feel now that you've reached one ass that you can't? It was almost a, this is an intellectual question as well. Matahe alehen. They didn't say matahe alecha. Aren't you frustrated? Aren't you uh, disappointed? Matahe alehen. Almost as if the integrity of all of your drashos is at stake. Samar lahem, so Shimon Hamsuni answered. Kishem shekibalti schar al hadrisha, kachani mekabel schar al aprisha. Shimon Hamsuni answered them, no, by not darshaning this word S, I'm understanding it better. I'm, by maintaining the mystery, by preserving the question mark that your Hashemayim reflects, that we don't know Hashem, we can't know. I'm not fleeing from the drasha. I'm not acknowledging the lack of any solution, but the word S here can't have one. By being parish on this S, I am preserving the integrity of all the other S's. And therefore, Kishem Shekibalti Schar Al-Adrisha, Kachani Mekabel Schar Al-Aprisha. Just like, I received, I don't think it was just Schar that he's going to get a reward in Shemayim, but just like all the other S's made sense, were coherent, the Prisha is the only thing that will preserve, this is what will preserve the meaning of Yerush Hashem. If I embark on a Drasha, then I'll paint the meaning, then I'll efface the meaning. If I know that I don't know Hashem, then ultimately I know Hashem. What's fascinating about this story is Shimon Hamsuni's language. It's not just an equation. Just like all the other drishas or drashos in our sense made sense, were coherent, uncovered mysteries of Torah. So too, my deferral or withdrawal from this S is one of integrity rather than one of uh, failure, is one of coherence rather than one of perplexion. There's something deeper. A person can only recognize the vastness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Torah once you begin to understand Torah. The nature of anything infinite is the more you understand that area, the more you realize you don't understand. Truth is, it's really true not just about realms of infinity. It's true about realms of finitude as well. person who studies physics, the person who never begins to study physics, they don't know how little they know because they just haven't even begun to organize or classify the various aspects of physics or any other field of study. So Einstein was more attuned to his ignorance in physics than, let's say, I am, because I'm a total ignoramus in physics. I can't begin to tell you what I do know, what I don't know, what's out there. I can't even describe my ignorance. Whereas Einstein could probably articulate the areas he was aware of and the areas he was unable to to uh, collate or unable to uh, obtain. It's certainly true with areas of infinity and with Akadosh Baruch and that's part of the Rambam's drama. The more that you uncover about Hashem, the more you realize how little you know. It's true about any pursuit of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's even more true in a very, very, I wouldn't say ironic, but very acute manner with Talmud Torah, because Talmud Torah at least looks as if it's something we can conquer. I mean, it's a written text, especially in the era in which Tarah Shabbat has been committed to writing. 
So no one can cover it all, but that seems to be a practical limitation. How many years do we have to live? How long do we have to study? So obviously each person has to specialize in the part of Torah study that attracts them, that they feel the most religious meaning from. But the truth is when we study Torah and we begin to embark upon the process of cataloging and analyzing and dissecting and classifying, etc., etc., the more that we know, the more we realize we don't know. Or to put it into Shimonham Sunni's phraseology, to get to the state of Trisha, you have to first undergo a process of Drisha. If you don't undergo a process of Drisha, then the Prisha will be lame, it will be abstract rather than real, rather than a deep understanding of the infinity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah and the surrender to that infinity, which of course is captured by the term Prisha. So it wasn't just saying that there are two parts to my relationship to Torah, the aspect of Drisha and the aspect of Prisha, and they're both meaningful. And as I said before, the Drisha preserves, excuse me, the Prisha preserves the Drisha. Without Prisha, then the Drisha would be, uh, would be, would, would lose its integrity. Prisha preserves Drisha. But Drisha yields a truer Prisha. A person can be parished and say, I'll never know Hashem. A person can be parished by wrestling with Torah, attempting to capture Torah, to conquer Torah, and then reaching that point, as we all do, we have to surrender because Taurus is too large for us. It's that Shlomo Melch says, right? It's the priest of Shlomo. That's so, in this case, in my opinion, reflective of Shimon Hamsuni. Amarti Echkema. He tried, he thought, he began the process, he began the process. So he many. It's too far. Rachok Mashahaya. Amok Amok Miyimsen. It's too far. It's too deep. David doesn't share that part. David has a different description of a Kurdish Baruch Hu's sweep. David Melach says, L'chol tichla reisikates. Rechava mitzvot chamiyot. But Shlomo Melach describes the process of Risha leading up to yielding a process or recognition of Prisha. Avas Hashem does indeed underwrite much of our experience of Talmud Torah. But a true encounter with Torah Hashem, not Torah Sa'adam, not a limited daf or a limited idea that you're working on, but if you see the whole sweep, the whole network of Torah, then you're parish. You say, I can't. And that was Shimon Hamsuni's Prisha moment. When he got to that Pasuk that frontally described Yiras Hashem, Es Hashem Marokechatira, and he tried to employ the tools of Talmud Torah, the exegetical tools. Well, I, I had tools, and I know that S means an inclusion, so let me include something. So he used, was trying to use Torah to describe Yeras Hashem. And then he realized the paradox of it all. That Torah ultimately, ultimately enables a true understanding of Yeras Hashem. So to use the exegetical tools of Torah to amplify Yeras Hashem and to include something like Yeras Hashem is illogical, is counter-logical. He's parish. And as he told his Talmud, and that wasn't the Prisha failure, 
That was a pressure of affirmation. That was a pressure of lucidity, not a distortion. Interestingly enough, Rabbi Akiva comes along in the Gemara, and he does apply a drasha to this extra word S. And it's interesting to question why Rabbi Akiva, how, what he sees as Shemin Hamsuni, he doesn't see. But practically, he says, as Hashem which one could say is a very provocative statement. On the one hand, the concept of fearing a Talmud Chacham <coughs> as a microcosm or a small, small taste of what fearing Hashem is, it seems very necessary. Because you can describe the fear of Hashem and the recognition of transcendence, but it's very abstract to know what you don't know to accept what you don't know. But abstract concepts aren't as compelling as palpable emotions. So when you see a Talmud Chacham who clearly knows more than you'll ever know, so far beyond your grasp of knowledge, that even if you were to spend every minute of your learning, his effort, his retention, his commitment to Torah is just so astounding. That is an approximation, a small taste of what Yerush Hashem is meant to be. Very interesting medrash in Parshas Vayigash. When Yosef reveals himself to his brothers, they couldn't answer him when the brothers realized this was Yosef. They were so mortified, so uh, uh, they felt so uh, um, disappointed in themselves, embarrassed. So Chazal say, Think about the brothers and their response and their silence, their inability to say a word in presence of Yosef, and that's what Yom Adin will be like when we get up to Shemaim and we we are self-revealed. We see the failure of our own lives and the mistakes we made. And we meet Kuchibrichu. So the sense of allowing certain experiences to just give us a direction, uh, as a compass of what your Hashem is, that's something Rabbi Kiva feels very strongly about. Obviously, the very definition of your Hashem means that nothing human can begin to describe it. So this question as to whether we maintain, so to speak, the purity of Yerush Hashem, and the purity, which is not just purity, but which is the integrity of Yerush Hashem, that's what Yerush Hashem is, it's not just a pure Yerush Hashem, that is Yerush Hashem. Or whether we allow secondary forms of Yerush to at least orient us towards what Yerush Hashem is, that's part of the debate between Shimon Hamsuni and Ubekiva part of the debate. The Hasidus took it one way. Um, so many aspects. Uh, Kabbalah had another spin on it, whether we can create these models at least to give orientation and sense of what it's like or we just create a pure and maintain a pure Yerush Hashem. But either way, Shimon Hamsuni, in that discussion with his Talmidim, incredible, credible sense of the two Emotions underwriting Torah and the three emotions which Torah spawns. Yerat Hashem and Avas Hashem. And in Shimon, Shimon Hamsuni's terminology, he said, Kishem Shekibalti Schar Aladrisha, Kachanimakabal Schar Aladrisha. There's Drisha Satara and Prisha Satara. Drisha is a moment of love, Prisha is a moment of Yerat.